to have you along today. You're very welcome joining us in worship. Um, we're going to begin this morning with uh, some opening responses that are going to appear on the screen. The struggle is over. The battle concluded. Christ is risen. The cross is vacant. The tomb abandoned. Christ is risen. Death's power is broken. Sin's price is cancelled. Christ is risen. A new day is dawning. A new day for everyone. Christ is risen. So lift up your hearts in glad thanksgiving. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Now we're going to begin our worship uh, this morning in a hymn called Jesus is Risen. Alleluia. Which we've sung once or twice as a congregation. The BBC uh, have sung it before. So hopefully it will be familiar to you. So what we're going to do is Alan's going to play the tune just to get you into the mood. And then we'll stand and we'll sing. I'll join in the drum. While we are doing that, boys and girls, the eagle-eyed among you, Carl, will have noticed that there are some sweeties in plastic packets around the room. And what I'd like you to do, boys and girls, is have your own little Easter egg hunt while we are singing. Now, you can keep one of these. If you find more than one, that's fine. But what you need to do is give it away to someone. <laughs> give it away to someone. So don't just give it to your mum, alright? Because then that's two in your family. Give it to someone that you don't know. And that will bless them a wee bit at Easter time too. So this song we're going to do is called Jesus is Risen. Alarm's going to play it for us now.
glad to be here this morning, glad to be sharing in this time of worship and celebration with our friends and family on this joyful Easter morning. And just as you rose again on that first Easter Sunday filled with power and life, may our spirits rise again within us as we remember that the God who raised Christ from the dead is at work within us today and that in the end when all is said and done, your love wins. Lord, where our lives haven't reflected your love or responded to your love, please forgive us. Forgive us our short tempers, our long memories, our doubting minds and our wandering hearts. Breathe new life into us today. Fill us with assurance and enthusiasm. Fill us with your resurrection power. And help us learn to live in the gentle strength of the risen Christ whose name we pray. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from So in the next guess, 
She keeps C, E, and A, includes those in her left word, and then brings in some other letters. So she tries camel. And the C is now in the right place. A and E still aren't correct. And she knows that M and L aren't in it. So she tries crate. Big success. Four green letters, so that's good. So C, R, A, and E are all correct. And all she needs to do is to find the one that's wrong. So in her next guess, she goes for craze. And she gets the world right, okay? So you have six guesses to get it correct. And it's become, I have to say, very addictive. Some of us have had to stop posting on Facebook because we were getting too competitive about it. <laughs> and of course, there's all, as you may, I'm sure many of you know, there's all different kinds of permutations. Now there's a mask one, and there's Herdle, which is, I think, introductions to music and all of that. But Wordle is the original, and in my view, the best. So we're going to talk today through a wee bit of the Easter story using Wordle. I have got a word in my head, a five-letter word, that has something to do with Easter. And we're going to see if we can work our way to that correct word, looking at the Easter story. But we're going to start with this picture. Okay? There's a very obvious five-letter word there, isn't there? Grass. You can see it at the foot of that rabbit. Or maybe teeth. You can have teeth, can you? What's the five-letter word I'm thinking of? Carol. Bunny! Excellent. Well, we tried bunny. We'll take bunny in. Okay, so there's bunny. So now we need to ask Wordle if it's right. Oh! No letters correct there in bunny. That's a shame. So we'll have to keep going. That's not a great start. If that happens to you in Wordle, you're a bit down in the mouth. Right, okay. So we'll go to our next picture there. Okay, so what are those? What are those? Yes, Paula! Hot cross buns, exactly. So again, we're thinking of a five-letter word. What might be the word we're thinking of there, do you think? Would it be buns? B-U-N-S. No, that's only four. Cross, Carol, you're on fire today. Yes, let's try cross around. Let's see if that fits, okay? Oh, no letters in cross either. So that hasn't helped us get our word. But we do know that the cross is a really important part of the Easter story, isn't it? Who ended up on the cross on Good Friday? Jesus. Jesus, well done. <laughs> you really are on Have you been eating those sweeties? I think you get a burst of energy. That's right, Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday. And the people in power in those days, the religious leaders and the political leaders, were jealous of him and the things that he was saying, the things that he was doing. They didn't like him following him, so they wanted to have him killed to get rid of him, which was very sad. I'm just having a thought here. Who did you say got killed on Good Friday? Jesus! How many letters are there in Jesus' name? Two, Five! Five letters, Marcus! Do you think we should try putting Jesus into the water? We'll try that. Okay, let's try that. Right. Jesus and... Oh! At last we've got a correct letter. It's taken us three guesses. I'm beginning to worry we might not get there by the time we get to six, okay? So we've got at least one right letter, but it's not in the right place, so we'll have to think about that. Well, let's go back to the Easter story for a wee minute. It was really sad that Jesus died on Good Friday. And as you can expect, his friends were really upset about it. And two of his friends, Joseph and Nicodemus, to 
Jesus' body away, and they wrapped it up carefully, and they laid him to rest in a fresh tomb, a tomb that had never been used before. Now, what's a tomb? Does anybody know what a tomb is? Do you think you know, Marcus? Yeah, it's where people go in for their bodies. It's where people, it's where you put bodies in, that's right, well done, that's right. Today we might call it a grave, yeah, you might call it a grave. And the tomb is really just a grave that was kind of above the ground. And way back in Jesus' day, that's where they used to bury people, in a tomb. So they rolled a big stone in front of the tomb to keep his body safe. And the Romans, who were the people in charge in those days, put a special seal across that big stone to stop anybody from opening it up again. And they even put guards outside the tomb so that nobody would dare to break in. Now boys and girls, what did we say that a tomb was? It's a bit like a... A grave! Did you know that then? Sorry, we didn't get to you. You put your hand up next time, I'll try and get you. It's a grave! How many letters are there in the word grave? Five. Five. Five letters, that's right. Should we put grave in and see if that's correct? Oh, now that's looking better. So we've got two correct letters in the right place, and we've got another letter, A, that's in the word, but at the minute isn't in the right place. And I can hear some of you murmuring because you might have worked it out. Okay, right? So, back to the Easter story. Jesus died on the Friday, but early on the Sunday morning, two of Jesus' friends, both called Mary, came to the tomb because they wanted to see Jesus for themselves one last time. Now they worried about how they were going to move away this great big stone that was in front of the tomb, but when they got there, the stone had already been rolled away, and the guards had fainted, or they'd run away, and they also, the ladies met an angel who told them that something amazing had happened, that Jesus had risen from the dead. God had given Jesus back his life to show that he really was God's son and that we should listen to the things that he said and did and we should put our faith and our trust in him. And on their way to tell the disciples this good news, the Marys met the risen Jesus for themselves on that very first Easter morning. So what's the good news of Easter morning? It's not that Jesus is dead, it's that Jesus is... Alive! Alive! How many letters are in alive? Five. Five! Should we plug that in and see? Yes. Right, okay, well type it in, what does the world say? Oh, We've yeah. got it! Jesus is alive in a way that's never happened before or since. But the good news is that he also shares that victory over death with us. And we're going to think some more about that with the grown-ups a wee bit later on. But for now we're going to sing again and it's hymn number 426 and it's called All Heaven Declare.
years, as you know, I've gone into the stories themselves in detail as someone with a scientific background to argue that just because we don't understand something at the moment, it doesn't mean that it can't be true. I've often said that a mystery is just a truth that we haven't understood yet. And the resurrection is definitely that kind of mystery. But even if we accept that it happened, that it really is true that Jesus rose from the dead that Sunday into resurrection life, it still begs the question, what does that mean? How do folk in the early church understand the resurrection? And what does it mean for you and me 2,000 years later? And that's what I want to speak into a little bit this morning. Looking at scripture and church tradition, and the way that the early church represented the story of the resurrection in their art. There's an old joke which I'm sure you know that there are only two things in life that are certain. Do you know what they are? Death and taxes. Correct. Death and taxes are the only two certainties in life. In the Old Testament, death was very much the final stop. No coming back. If there was any kind of life after death, and that whole question is actually quite open in the Old Testament, then it would have been in the grave, or Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the underworld, or Hades in the Greek, the world of the dead. That's what they thought lay beyond. And if that sounds gloomy, the modern secular worldview isn't a whole lot better, because it holds that once you die, you die. Your atoms disperse. And nothing remains of you but memories. Now the romantics might say that you live on in the breeze that stirs the trees or the shimmer of sunlight in the waters. The materialists might say that energy and the matter that make you up find their way back into the universe. But beyond that they would say that there's no hope to be found in the face of death. It's the absolute end. Once you're gone, you're gone. That's the story that our modern world wants to tell us. So it's in the face of that story, and in the face of the seemingly um, undeniable finality of death, that the church continues to proclaim, and has proclaimed for two millennia, that Christ is risen. As Peter said to thousands of people in his Pentecost sermon, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. If you read any of the apostles' sermons in the book of Acts, the resurrection is always front and centre. Now from the lofty heights of the 21st century, it would be easy to write the people of that age off as naive or foolish even. But let's remember that folk in those days were far more acquainted with death than we are. Families lived together, and they tended their dying relatives at home. There was no national health service. There were no antibiotics to fight disease with. There was no, or very few, anaesthetics to keep pain at bay. Life was short and often brutal, especially under military occupation. So the folk at that time may be naive about certain things. They certainly weren't naive about death. They knew far more about death than we do. And yet here some of them were, from that era, proclaiming not only that Christ had been raised, but that somehow his resurrection heralded the end of death itself. As Paul says in his second letter to Timothy, 
Grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but is now being revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So is death over? Do people not die anymore? Well, of course they do. But the good news of the resurrection is that death doesn't get to hold us anymore. By the grace of God, Jesus won a victory over death for himself that first Easter morning. But as our representative, the second Adam, Jesus conquers death for all of us, pulling us out of its clutches by the power of his divine life. And that's exactly what we see in the art of the early church in the first few centuries as they reflected on this event and on the scriptures and tried to understand what the resurrection actually means. And when you look at the art from that era, it really falls into two categories. The first, the first category tries to show what it would have been like had you been there at the moment of the resurrection. The empty tomb the overawed soldiers, the visitors who came to the grave, and in some shape or form, the risen Christ. This example dates from 586 AD, and it's part of an illustrated copy of the Gospels that's called the Rabbala Gospels, and it comes from Syria. Rabbala was the name of the monk who did this. And you can see all those familiar kind of tropes on the left here. We've got the Marys coming to the tomb meeting the angel and I should say this is there are different time frames here so you get them coming to the tomb at first there's the tomb in the middle with what looks like death rays coming out of it but that's the that's the resurrection light shining on the, the guards and the soldiers and making them afraid and then in the right of the picture we have the risen Jesus meeting the Marys and receiving worship so that dates from 586 AD showing what might have happened had you been there but there's another kind of image from those times which tries to go deeper into the meaning of the resurrection as it was understood by the early church. Because for them, the resurrection wasn't just a solitary event in the life of Jesus. It was something corporate that radically changed the nature of our human being. This next image is one of my favourite examples. And this is from the Kora Church in Istanbul. This version dates from the early 1300s. But this kind of image was around from the 6th century onwards. And I'm going to show you a more modern version of the same image because it's easier to see the detail. So what do we see? Well, we see Jesus in the centre. And there's movement about him. There's power in his limbs. There's a, a cloak is slightly billowing behind him in a Superman kind of way, which is indic indicative of him descending rapidly. And who's he lifting here? We've got Adam and we've got Eve. What's he lifting them out of? He's lifting them out of the tombs that they were in, the metaphorical tombs. And it's important to note, and it's quite hard to see on the image, I know, but they're not reaching out for him. He is reaching down and grabbing them by the hands. They have no uh, initiative here. This is something he is doing for them because this is all of grace. 
To the left and to the right, you can see other figures. These are other dead who were waiting for this liberation. On the left, you can see a couple of figures with crowns, David and Solomon. We've got John the Baptist. And on the right, we have some of the prophets. And in the ancient representations, the, the folk on either side of this, this scene often differ, but they're making the same point. The dead are waiting to be raised. What is Jesus standing on? These two strips at the bottom? The gates of hell. And in some of the images, they're actually in a cruciform shape to show that Christ conquers the grave. He conquers hell and death and sin by the power of the cross. And it's a very fine detail, but right at the bottom, you may just be able to see keys and padlocks and chains smashed to pieces. Symbolic of the chains that held us in death being broken and overcome by Christ. And away down at the bottom, which you probably won't see, there's a shadowy figure who is now chained. Who's that? It could be the devil. It could be the personification of Hades. It's what Jesus calls in the New Testament the strong man being bound by the work of Christ. Binding all that would hold us back from him and from the love of his Father. Now where does that understanding come from? Are they just making this up? Well no, it came from the scriptures. More scriptures than I have time to go into this morning. But here are a couple that point in this direction. The first is from 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now that's a strange text. But it seems to teach that Christ went in his own death and reached out to the spirits of those held in the realm of the dead, bringing them what was very probably the first Easter sermon. And in Ephesians 4, Paul says to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So according to Paul, Christ descends to the lower regions to ascend with captives in his train. He's describing a second exodus in all but name, an escape from the realm of sin and death. These pictures are trying to tell us something. They're telling us that the early church understood the resurrection not as an individual event that happened to Jesus, but as a corporate event so that God was doing something definitive to our humanity in raising Christ from the dead as our representative. Now that might be new to but I think it's there in the scriptures. And with that wee bit of understanding, there's a really weird part of Matthew's gospel that might start to make a wee bit more sense now. In 45 years of going to church, I have never heard this preached on. 
And I don't think I've ever had the courage to preach on it. But Matthew tells us that at the moment of Jesus' death, the earth shook and the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now that's weird, I know. But could it be that these newly risen saints are meant to be understood as an early token of what's going to happen to the whole of humankind because of Christ's resurrection? A sign of what's to come. Is that what this story's about? I don't know. We'll find out one day. We started out this morning asking what the resurrection means. Put simply, it means that your life and mine and that of everyone you've ever known isn't lost when we die. We don't become energy or the wind in the trees or worse still, we don't pass out of existence altogether. Because of the resurrection, we get to keep our lives and still be ourselves as we return to the one who fills the universe and is both our judge and our saviour. We came from him and we returned to him. And before him, we will all have to give an account of how we've lived our lives. And everything within us that is not of love will be burned up by the consuming fire of his glorious presence. And they're like butterflies emerging from the chrysalis or like the sleeping dead emerging from the tomb into new life. We will become the people that we were always meant to be by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Christ is risen and we are raised in heaven. Amen. Elizabeth, that chain. We'll get to work on that just now. Meanwhile, boys and girls, have you got anything that you want to show me? Have you got anything that you've been working on? Have you got any pictures that you'd like to show me? Do you want to bring them up? Very good. So we've got Carol. Carol's done a lovely Easter picture. That's great. Thank you. So we'll that up so we can see. So we've got a cross in the middle. And we've got some lovely flowers at the bottom. It's like a daffodil, uh, beautiful colouring. And oh my, can you hold this up so we can see it, please, Willow? That's beautiful. Well done. That's gorgeous. You've done a great job. Thank you so much for that. Super. Anyone else got anything they want to show us, any boys and girls? Have you got something else? On you go. So what have you? Oh, you did right. So Carl's done his Easter word search as well. Well done. Did you manage to finish it? Oh, Marcus, brilliant. Hold that up so we can see. Nice colouring. And Marcus, you've kept within those lines very, very well. Did Mum help? No, you did all yourself. Good lad. Well done. That's great. Give the kids a wee round of applause. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. So just talk about yourselves for a couple of minutes, and we'll finish off the service shortly. Thank you.
we're remembering through this symbolism. Do you remember the, um, do you remember the, the picture of Jesus pulling up Adam and Eve from the grave? There are, well, there's one or two, they're more rare, there are a few pictures where Jesus has got Adam, but there's one, thank you, yeah, Jesus has got Adam, Adam's got Eve, Eve's got Abel, and you could continue that chain all the way. So in a way that the chain is a symbol of our being drawn up by Christ, we're part of that chain of humanity that he's pulled from the grave, and that's what we're going to think about a wee bit as we close in prayer. And there's a short response that we're going to use here. Uh, we'll say, thank you that you have bound us to yourself in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, in the face of so much need in this world, so much that seems insurmountable, thank you that you have bound us to yourself in Jesus. In the personal struggles that we live through, unseen and unknown by many, but fully known to you, thank you that you have bound us to yourself in Jesus. In all the uncertainty of life just now, with a future that's unclear and a present that's very challenging, thank you that you have bound us to yourself in Jesus. When war and violence are rife and there seems to be no end to the trouble, thank you that you have bound us to yourself in Jesus. For the promise of life, resurrection life, beyond the darkness, sorrow and pain that life often brings, thank you that you have bound us to yourself in Jesus. And may we, stretching out in love, be a part of the chain that draws others into a deep, trusting friendship with the Lord of life, our friend and our saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We close our service this morning in the words of one of the great resurrection hymns, Thine be the glory, risen on Christ.
And now go in the peace and in the power of the risen Christ. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.